This is Richard Pothig again, and this is chapter three, and the chapter title is Life Leaves Grooves on Windowsills. I arrived at 1543 First Avenue in the summer of 1925. From the antiseptic hospital room at Lenox Hill Hospital on Lexington Avenue and 76th Street, I moved to the top floor of a First Avenue tenement. The building was an old law tenement, built before the turn of the century. It was a cold water flat, which meant that the only water in the apartment came from the cold water faucet. You heated your water for washing on the coal stove in the kitchen, and that was the only heat in the apartment. You created your own heat in other rooms with kerosene stoves. There was a tub in the kitchen, beside the sink, in which you washed your clothes and you took your Saturday bath, if you could fit into the tub. It took many kettles of hot water heated on the stove to make a bath. On each of the upper floors, there were four apartments, two in the front and two in the back. The toilets were in the hall. There was one toilet for the apartments in the front and one toilet for the apartments in the back. I remember well how cold they were in the winter. Between the toilets was a dumbwaiter which served to haul up the heavy groceries, the coal for the stove, and the ice for the ice box. It also served to take down the garbage. Five stories is a long way to haul up anything. Or down. It was a strenuous task for anyone living on the top floor. We lived in the front apartment, so we had a grand view of First Avenue from our front window sill. We also had access to the roof. During the hot summers, you got away from the stifling heat of a tenement apartment by sitting on the roof after the sun had gone down. The tar on the roof was still hot from the day sun, so you needed newspapers or an expendable blanket to sit on. A euphemism for the roof was Tar Beach. The only windows on the outer world in your apartment were the two which faced out on First Avenue. There was an air shaft which did not contribute much air circulation in the summer. The window in my room looked out on the air shaft. In the winter, it was a regular source of cold drafts. I remember the cold in our apartment. It always seemed there was a draft blowing through. I thought that it was these drafty conditions which accounted for my rheumatic fever at an early age. It also helped keep my mother tubercular. The advantage of living in the front apartment on the top floor was the windows which faced down onto First Avenue. Even then, only one window mattered since the other window opened onto the fire escape. The fire escape ran up the face of the building from the second to the top floor. It was shared by the tenement apartment in our neighbor tenement, 1541 First Avenue. The fire escape provided an extra space to get away from the heat. On especially hot nights, people would use the fire escape for a place to sleep. It was also going to save our lives in 1931. During the spring and the summer and into the early fall, the window on First Avenue provided a great show. Action on the avenue was always lively. The top floor had the advantage of a larger view of the street seen, especially the streets running north. If it was not the traffic, then it was the people shopping or holding conversations on the street. 
The window still also provided an opportunity to share greetings and gossip with other neighbors hanging out the window. The window sill had an important place in the life of the tenement dweller. One is both a spectator and an actor in the dramas which happen on the street below. One drama I viewed on First Avenue came back to me years after I had left the east side. The retrieval of memory happened my first year in college. I was reading Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities, from a freshman college course. I came to Chapter 5, The Wine Shop, and suddenly stopped as I read the first few paragraphs. The scene pictured a Paris street during the French Revolution. It suddenly appeared familiar. I had seen this scene somewhere before. A wagon rumbling down a Paris street. A wine keg breaks loose and falls shattering on the cobblestones. The wine spills from the broken barrel onto the street. Business stops, and from scores of stores and doorways and Paris windows, people descend upon the broken barrel to salvage whatever they can from the remaining wine. The drama from Dickens' story evoked the childhood memory of a scene witnessed from five-story window above First Avenue. It was Sunday in the early fall of 1932. I was in my seventh year. It was an election year and prohibition was still with us. The weather was warm and the windowsill provided a respite from an apartment still holding the summer's heat. My uncle Paul, my mother's brother, and I were sharing windowsill space watching the slow-paced Sunday traffic. My uncle Paul often stayed with us on a couch in the living room when he was looking for work. A bakery truck driving north on First Avenue suddenly swerved out of control, and as it reached the east corner of 81st Street, the truck jumped the curb and hit the lamppost. The back of the truck sprung open, and out of the open doors tumbled bottles of prohibition booze, crashing and rolling onto the street. And if by magic the empty street was filled with people, people came pouring out of tenement doorways, heads disappeared from windowsills, my Uncle Paul's included and descended upon the hapless bakery truck and it spilled illegitimate cargo. The liquor bottles, broken and unbroken, were snatched up and the street was soon bereft of its bottles except for broken shards of glass. All of this in the twinkling of an eye. In later years, I learned that during Prohibition, 81st Street between York and East End Avenues harbored a hidden still and warehouse. My source was quite reliable. My friend Jerry Pospisil had grown up right next door to the apartment building that held the camouflage still. The window sill served another social function for the, within the neighborhood. It was the mechanism for social control. Not many things could get by with so many arbiters watching from window sills. This was especially true on side streets where the young people would gather to play ball or get into other random mischief. Any miscreant action would soon find its way back to your family's ears. There's always a chance that someone who knew your mother had seen you hit the ball that went through someone's window. Besides the sights and scenes which remain forever etched in your memory, the events of early childhood are evoked by the smells which threaten life itself. One such event was jogged into memory in the winter of 1989 while I was living in Buffalo. I was on one of my exercise walks up Richmond Avenue in the Allentown section of Buffalo. 
As I walked past Ferry to Breckenridge, I was stopped by the distinct smell of burned wood on the cold air. It smelled like a fire, so I hurriedly looked around me to determine from which direction the smell was coming. I looked down toward Norwood and caught sight of the bare, charred roof beams of the Saints Church of God in Christ on Ferry Street. I remembered that a month earlier, three juveniles had set a fire in the church to cover up a burglary they had committed. The smell of charred wood still hung on the air from that fire. An alertness to burning wood comes instinctively if you have ever been in a fire. The smell triggers a reaction to move quickly. My mind flashed back to 1543 First Avenue and one night in my fifth year. My mother had put me to bed after supper. My father had left for work on the night shift at Loose Wiles in Long Island City. I was in a half-sleep when I heard Colonel, our German shepherd, yelping, making a great commotion. Soon my mother was beside me, shaking me. Richie, 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 get up, get up quick. There's a fire. It smells like a fire in the hall. My mother pulled me out of bed. It's in the hall. There's smoke in the hall. We can't go down that way. Smoke was seeking under the kitchen door. She pulled me by the hand and into the front room. Out the fire escape, out the fire escape. We have to get to this fire escape. Outside the front window, I could hear voices and car noises. There were already fire engines on the street below. Out of nowhere there appeared a ladder banging up against the tenement. A fireman came through the window. He shouted to a companion below, We'll take them down through the other apartment. As the fireman grabbed me in his arms, he told my mother, I'll get him. You take care of yourself. Get through the window into the next apartment. The fireman carried me across the fire escape to the apartment window in an adjoining tenement building. We went through the window and the apartment of the next door neighbor down the tenement stairs and onto the street is over in one hurried, exciting, and fear-filled moment. I was taken to the apartment of a friend of my Uncle Paul's on 81st Street. The next days are blurs in my memory. Our apartment fortunately was not badly damaged. The fireman, in coming through our living room door, had pushed over the glass cabinet in which my mother had stored all her fine German-cut glass bowls. There was not much left. It was a shattering experience for her. It was one of the few inheritances she had from her mother. The smell of fire lasted a long time in the tenement. The fire had started on the second floor. A cigarette had been carelessly thrown in the garbage on the dumbwaiter. The fire had worked itself up the dumbwaiter shaft to the floors above. The building had to be renovated. This was a word I added to my vocabulary early in life. One of the benefits of renovation was that some things were beginning to look new in the old tenement, especially where the fire had taken hold. Through the long weeks and months of renovation, a new smell was added to the odor of the burnt wood that still hung in the air, the smell of cement. It was a smell I came to like. There was a clean, fresh smell in new cement. It made me feel cool when the summer came upon us. I would open the door to the dumbwaiter on the fifth floor just to smell and feel the cool, clean smell of drying cement. In my ninth year, my sister Erna was born, April 3rd, 1934. My mother was not any stronger for climbing five flights of stairs. She had been born into that tenement in 1900. She had lived in its conditions for 34 years, but her tuberculosis had taken its toll on her stamina. A top-floor apartment began to look like an insurmountable feat. 
1935, my mother and father made the decision to move. An opportunity had opened up to move to a four-story tenement, 1582 First Avenue, between 82nd and 83rd Streets. This building had heat, actually, a radiator in the bathroom. There was a bathroom in the apartment with a tub and shower. It was a new day for the Pothigs. Beside that, we would have an apartment on the second floor. The tenement was called a railroad flat. The rooms, five of them, ran from the front of the tenement straight to the backyard. Out the back kitchen window, there was a clothesline which was attached with a pulley to a long pole, which was the height of the tenement. The clothes no longer had to be hung in the kitchen or up on the roof. There was still a coal stove in the kitchen with a small sink for dishes and a small tub for laundry. But there was also a place for a gas stove, and we had a gas stove. The windowsill in the front room now opened onto a whole new scene. There were new stores with which to become acquainted, a whole new set of neighbors to talk to out the window, and there were striped green and white awnings. The action on the street was now closer at hand. Conversations were easier to have from the second floor window than from a fifth floor window. After we had lived in 1582 for several years, the landlord asked us if we would be willing to become the superintendents of the building. This meant we would get our apartment rent-free. The tenement had only eight apartments, and most of the tenements were amiable people. Most of them were either immigrants or second-generation people from German, Czech, or Slovak background. The Masics, who had been our good neighbors from 1543, had moved into the 1582 building with us. My mother and father decided to take on the superintendent work for the tenement, my father was always very cautious about my mother's help. He decided that he would do all the heavy work when he was home. Now that I was 12 years old, I was to carry some of the tasks. That meant shoveling and stoking coal in the furnace for heat, taking out the garbage for the eight families, and making sure the halls were kept clean. My father had been able to hold on to his job during the Depression. I remember the anxiety every Friday night or Saturday morning if you worked the night shift. Working people lived in the constant fear that they would not be going back to work on Monday. My father worked as a mechanic at Loose Wiles Sunshine Biscuits in Long Island City. He worked on the delivery cars. When the company originally had horses for the deliveries before mechanization, he was in charge of the horses. Now he was responsible for keeping the delivery trucks tuned up. As long as I can remember, he worked the night shift. He was out of the house in the early evening, after we had supper and back in the early morning, usually in bed as I was going off to school. He was a hard worker, always concerned for the family. Even before my father had married my mother in the early 1920s, he was helping pay for her care at a tuberculosis sanitarium in Saranac Lake in upstate New York. Now that I had come of age, I was expected to pitch in to make life easier for my mother. Superintending the building at 1582 First Avenue, janitoring was the word used then, would require constant care and energy. At least it would save on the rent. The move to 1582 also gave me a whole new set of friends and a new street, 83rd Street, to call home territory. <laughs> 